Good morning. Everybody got me? There we go. All right. So, I always kind of joke that, actually we were just joking about it kind of pre-service backstage about when I go off notes, it can tend to get a little dangerous and I try not to go off my notes. But something popped in my head while I was back there again. Uh, so I want to go off notes. And it's a terrible spirit. I think, I, I think it's a terrible spiritual analogy. But it popped in my head as we were singing It Is Well about the greatness of, of the Lord descending and the goodness. And it reminded me a little bit of, again, I said this is going to be a terrible sports analogy. But just, you know, this is the way my mind works. The, the Ravens lost a pretty tough game. I know, I know, but the, trust me, trust, wait, see, see how this is going to go. Watch this, watch this, watch how I make this. So, it's like, it was like a death, you know, Jesus dead in the grave. I mean, it was rough, right? But then, but then there's the glorious news of the Orioles being sold. Yeah. And then there's trades by the Orioles, and it's like Christ resurrecting in this glorious time. See? I told you, terrible spiritual, I know, it was bad, we'll probably have to go back and like, take that out of the um, live stream, because that's going gonna, gonna to come back like 50 years, look what this pastor said, it was terrible, um, <laughs> so this is a terrible analogy, but that's just what, look, like I said, stick to the notes, all right, so, so, thank you, there, thank you, at least, all right, see, it was, I mean, it's just kind of, I don't even, there's no good transition, so we're just going to dive into where we are. So, today we're continuing on in our, our, our Names of God series. And, and as we look at these names, each one kind of paints a, a different picture about who God is. Each name kind of gives us insight, as people, other speakers have been saying, into these characteristics of God explaining himself and then telling us who he is through these names. And just like last week, this name that we're going to be looking at today is only used one time in Scripture. But it is a, a name that I, I think as you look at the theme of it, that runs through Scripture as a whole. And today's name is Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. You see, one thing I love about these, this series is so many times the, the name of God is connected to a story. So as we go through this story today, we're going to be looking at the life of Gideon as we study Jehovah Shalom. And, and today's message will focus, as we get to it, you'll see two questions, and then you'll see two answers. And I think as we look at these questions and answers, they help align us and bring us to the place where we see God as the Lord of peace in our lives. So I invite you to open up to Judges chapter 6. We're going to get there in a little bit after some moments of review and introduction. But before we even get there, let me open us with a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for once again gathering us here in this church. Lord, as we think about all those who are gathering as well on this day, some in freedom and some in fear, Lord, we pray that as we worship together as one united church, 
that your name is glorified, that praise is brought and that your name spreads through this world. Lord, we thank you for the peace that you bring into our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think it's important as we dive into this story to always kind of understand a lot of the background that is happening as we lead into this Judges chapter 6, as we try and understand the context of what we see with Jehovah Shalom. And in order to get that, we need to understand a lot of different things. In Genesis 12, going way back, we are introduced to Abraham, and, and Bill shared last week about the God who sees in relation to the story of Abraham. And if you remember, God gives many promises to Abraham that he'll be a great nation, that he'll be blessed. But one promise is also for a land, a promised land that would eventually become Israel. And then in Genesis 26, the same promise is made. And then in Genesis 28, the same promise is made to the descendants. And then Jacob, as we know, as this family line continues with Joseph, and at the time, they're living in this land, and there's others living in this land. But if you know the story of Joseph, he gets sold into slavery by his brothers who are jealous of him. He, he's raised in Egypt, but God is preparing him to supply for the needs of millions of people who will need food through a famine. Overall, this says the nation is provided. This is the fast-forward version, remember, so we're just flying through that. So... All this, the, the nation of Egypt provides food. Joseph is elevated to a place of authority. He is reunited with his family. And then time passes on, and in Egypt, the Israel becomes a great nation, as it was promised to Abraham. But this great nation now makes the Egyptians nervous, right? So then they put Israel into slavery. And after some time, the people cry out to God for help. Moses comes on the scene comes and frees to free his people. He goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, no. He does. And then ten plagues go through. We have the death of the firstborn, and then Israel is finally free to head toward the promised land. Many things again happen as time moves on, and they finally get to the border of the land, and they send spies into the land. And the spies say, there is no way we can take this land. There's no way we can go forward. These giants are huge. There's no way we could defeat these enemies. God doesn't like this after all because this land was promised to them. So then a whole generation dies off. And then under a new leader, Joshua, they are finally able to enter into the promised land. Maybe you remember the battles of Jericho and Ai. So the book of Joshua ends, and Joshua dies, and the book of Judges now opens. Israel's conquest of the land is coming to an end. They are in the promised land, but we get some very important information as this story continues. See, Israel was given specific instructions from God. They were to drive out all the other people living in this land, but they didn't listen to God. They, they settled in this promised land. They let these other nations live around them. They made some of these nations slaves. And then listen to the words in Judges as we come into actually Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the angel of the Lord 
Now, anybody remember from Bill from last week? Who did he say that was? Is, however you want to do it. Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus. So here we go. And that's going to play a role in our story as well today. So he went up from Gilgal to broke him, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel Lord spoke these words, all the people of Israel lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Brokim because they sacrificed there to the Lord. Well, at least this generation is called out and they repent. But if we skip down to verse 10, we're going to see that another generation arises who doesn't remember. It says in verse 10, And all that generation that were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that had been done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and they were provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord. They served the Baals and the Asherah, so that the anger was kindled against Israel. So he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned them and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. So now we're coming into the full context of what we're going to see in today's account in this Jehovah Shalom. Israel is finally in the promised land, but they forget God and they do evil. And as you read through the book of Judges, one of the common phrases that comes up is everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Anybody heard that phrase before? As you study the book of Judges, it's, it says what it says. Everybody just doing whatever they think is right. How do you think that goes? Do we see that today at all? I think we see that. People doing that which is right in their own eyes. So they acted evil. And God then would bring in a foreign nation to plunder them and to make life just awful for Israel. And then after some time, Israel would cry out and they would repent out to God for help. God would hear the plea of his people and he would send a judge to free them, not some courtroom judge, but a leader who would come and rescue and lead the people of Israel to conquer over this foreign nation. Israel would then rejoice and have a great time of worship. But then after some time, this cycle would repeat itself. They do evil. A nation conquers them. They cry out. God saves. People worship. And over and over and over, this plays out throughout the book of Judges. And now we come 
to our story for today with all this in our context. And it says this beginning in Judges chapter 6. Here we go. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza to the land of, and leave no sustenance in the land of Israel, nor sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both them and their camels, they could not be counted so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of the Lord cried out for help. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites and those whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So here we have Israel now is, is in this cycle. The, the Midianites have come along with the Amalekites, and they've devoured the produce of the land. Food is hard to come by. They are hiding in the dens and in the caves and the mountains. It is a terrible time for Israel. So much unrest, no peace. And they're wondering, how is God going to act? Well, let's walk through verses 11 through 24, and let's see what we learn. And remember, pay attention about questions and answers as we walk through this passage today. We begin in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord. Here it is again. Who is it? Jesus. You guys know the best answer to always give to any question in church. There you go. We got one thing going for us. Always say. Always say. All right. Just like, again, that was on my notes. We'll keep going. All right. So here we go. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite. The angel is mentioned here again, as we said, Jesus. And you see, this could be confusing as we think about this, right? This pre-incarnate Jesus. And there's many times that you might hear preachers say that maybe Jesus was created by God. Or, or that he is God in a different form, that God was God the Father, and then he was God the Son, and now he's God the Spirit. Whenever you think of those things or hear those things, just give them a good holy nope if you were in the uh, church meeting. Because we don't want to understand. We don't want to believe those things. But here we have the pre-existent Christ coming and delivering this message. So he comes and he sits under this tree that belongs to Joash, the father of our soon-to-be character of Gideon. So, 
Here he is. Now what is Gideon doing? So it says, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So here we have, as the story continues, Gideon is threshing the wheat. And the threshing is, is a process of separating the kernels of wheat from the stalks. Now this is normally done on a large floor, maybe something like the size of this stage. Out in the open, they would crush it, and then they would even have little forks that they would toss it in the air so that the wind would also help separate, and the kernels would just fall down to the ground. But where does it say he is doing this? He's in a wine press. This is not the exposed area where they would normally be threshing their wheat. It said the wine press would be a much smaller area, maybe even a more protected area because wine was of such value. It wasn't visible to others. He didn't want the enemies to see what he was doing. The fact that it's also a wine press tells us how little wheat there was because this was not a large floor. It was usually a smaller area. So the food wasn't as available. He is hiding from his enemies, not wanting them to see what he is doing. He is hiding. Hiding is a sign of fear, right? Think about it. How many times when there's a big storm coming and what do kids do? Hide themselves under a blanket, right? They think they don't have to see the storm. They are protected under their blanket in hiding. So, along with hiding, Gideon and the rest of Israel is hiding in caves, up in the mountains, in the dens, a great time of unrest and no peace. And then we come to verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, The Lord is with you. Now, now, since we're studying the names of God, it's important to see what name is mentioned here. And if you have in your scriptures, it's probably in all caps. Remember, that is the name Yahweh, the proper name, the existent one, the eternal one. The angel is giving him good news. God is with you. Then he goes on and says, he calls him a mighty man of valor. And if you know the story of Gideon, this is a very interesting introduction to him. It's, we think that kind of the angel of the Lord is kind of giving a preview to who Gideon will become as he works with the Lord. So, the Lord is with you, man of, man of valor. What great news that is. How excited would you be to get that message? All right, nobody would be excited. But how excited would you be? So here we go. Let's see how Gideon responds. Here it is, verse 13. And Gideon says to him, Please, Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. If you look at this, you, you first realize that Gideon doesn't even realize who he's talking to. When he says Lord, it's more of a generic term for Lord of the time. It's just kind of somebody in the story that you would just say 
Lord too. And then let's, I want to repeat and read again just what he says. He says, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. Did Scripture just get real for you in that moment? If God is with me, then why is all this bad stuff happening? Why are we hiding in caves? Why do we have such little food? Why, why are we in fear of these nations? Gideon looks around at his circumstances and he questions the presence of God. Gideon also, he remembers what Gideon, what God had done. Remember, the prophet came earlier in this story reminding them of what God had done through them in bringing them out of Egypt. He remembers those words. He says, where are these events that are spoken about? Where is God in this moment? Now, I want to be careful here because Israel is in a position of disobedience to God. And that was what the message of the prophet brought to them. Now, our disobedience can also bring struggles with God. But not every bad thing that happens in our life is because of just disobedience. Life has its difficulties because sin reigns over this earth. And we are in a world where it is a broken place that, that doesn't go the way it's supposed to be. But as we look at this story, we understand that God is bringing their disobedience into question. And as we continue in this passage, Gideon is going to continue to question God. He's going to continue to not understand until the end who he is really talking to. And the reality is, whatever situation that we might be facing in our lives, we know that God is present. When we ask the question, where are you, God? I don't feel you in this situation. Well, I think as we continue on in this story and we see how God responds, we get our answers to these questions. Let's continue and see what God has for us as we continue in verse 14. It says, And the Lord, Yahweh again, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. What an interesting response that we see here from the angel of the Lord. He doesn't even address really the question that is asked to him by Gideon. Instead, all he says is go. Go save Israel. And he kind of repeats and he says, do not I send you. See, the angel wants Gideon to not worry about what he sees around him. The angel says, have no fear. I am sending you. What more confidence, as we look at it, does Gideon need than those words? What a great promise from the Lord. You know, when you have little kids and they're about to maybe do something that they're uncomfortable with, what do they often ask their parents? Sometimes they might ask, will you go with me? Will you do this with me? Will you, will you be by my side as I do this? What do they want? They want the comfort of knowing that their parent, the one that they see as their protector, is going to be with them. And what 
Gideon is asking here is, he's wondering, can I really trust? God, I see my circumstances. I know that you say you are with me and you say you are sending me. And God is saying, I'm here. I am here with you through this. But it continues. And in verse 15, he says, please, Lord. Again, just a general term for Lord. He is still not realizing completely. He says, how can I save Israel? He says, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He is saying, Lord, you have, you have the wrong person. I am nothing. My family is nothing. My tribe is nothing. Now, either he is extremely humble, or he is just continuing to make excuses. And the Lord responds. And again, and in verse 16, he says, The Lord said to him again, here's a repeat, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. See, the Lord doesn't explain to him why he is good enough to be used by God. He doesn't make a list of, Gideon, you have this and this and this quality. This is why I want to use you. Instead, all he says is, I will be with you. It's another great promise from the Lord told to him. He's been told the Lord is with you. He says, I am sending you. And again, he says here, I will be with you. He says, stop worrying about the unrest around you. Stop being in fear of your circumstances. Look to me. And it's a similar interaction, I think, when we look back at the calling of Moses. Jim spoke about this a few weeks ago with the burning bush. And remember, Moses is, is being told that you're going to go before Pharaoh. And what's he do? He, he makes excuses, just like Gideon. Moses says, I can't do this. I, I can't. I can't go before Pharaoh. But in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 3, it says this, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go before Pharaoh and bring out the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, this is God speaking, but I will be with you. To Moses and Gideon, God is saying, stop fearing your weaknesses and realize who is with you. I am the great I am. I am Yahweh, the almighty God, the one who sees you, the everlasting God. I am with you. And as this story progresses, I, I think as we jump into verse 17, we have to understand the, the context of what is happening here because Gideon is now going to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to go get some food. I'm going to prepare a meal. And if you look back in Genesis 18, Abraham has a very similar experience with an angel of the Lord and other two angels. He looks up and sees these angels coming to him in Genesis 18. He sees these three men. They give him a message, and he says, Look, stay here a little bit. I'm going to go get some food, and I want to have fellowship with you. He says, and in verse 3, he says, O oh Lord, this is Abraham speaking, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under this tree. So Abraham meets with these angels, 
prepare some food for them and ask if I have found favor with you and enjoy fellowship with me. Now, as we jump back into Judges chapter 6, in verse 17, Gideon says this, Now, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, the angel of the Lord, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes and an ephod of flour, the meat, and he put it in a basket. In the broth, he put it in a pot and brought it into the terabith and presented it to him. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. So just like Abraham, Gideon is gathering a meal, and what he's about to do, it gets a bigger context. Because what does it sound like he is doing? He says present, but if you have the NIV, it says offering, or some other translations even translate it as gift. So here he is preparing an offering to bring to now this angel, And he's wondering, is this something more? Is this a more important messenger that I am speaking with? So through this process, he's going to realize who he is really talking with. He's going to realize the one who has come to bring this message to him. So the angel of the Lord has him put the the meat and the cake on these rocks, pour a little broth over them, Again, doesn't this sound very similar to a lot of things you hear through Leviticus? Did you guys skip Leviticus in your Bible readings? Chuckles mean yes. All right. So, all this coming out, this offering being prepared, this maybe even sacrifice, this act of worship. And who is the one person that can accept worship? God alone. Keep this in mind and we'll understand Gideon's reaction. Pick it up in verse 21. It says, Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. Fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. This meal that was placed on these rocks is burned up in an act of sacrifice, an act of worship. Gideon says, give me a sign. And I think he gets one. I think his eyes are open and he realizes that this is just not some ordinary messenger who has been brought before him. But this is the angel of the Lord. And as we are studying the names of God, it's important to see now how his addressing to this angel changes. It says in verse 22, Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, my Lord, this is Adonai, God. Now I have seen the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, face to face. And at this point, Gideon thinks he is about to die. He he thinks, now I have seen the Lord face to face, and that's because he should die as he looks 
at God. We read later on in Judges with the account of Samson and his parents. It says the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And as they go through a, a similar sacrifice, they realize they're seeing the angel of the Lord. And in verse 22, Samson's parents say, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. And then in Exodus, when God and Moses are, are having this interaction, God responds and says, But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So Gideon is thinking, I'm going to die. Now remember, what he is seeing is the angel of the Lord. If a lot of people saw the angel of the Lord, Christ, and died, a lot of people would be dead today. We can't look upon God the Father, but we look upon his son, the angel of the Lord, and Jesus Christ. So Gideon is now in a place in his life where he's been in this place of worry and fear. There isn't enough food. There's a foreign nation invading us. Over and over, they're, they're hiding in caves. And now on top of all that, he thinks, I'm dead. All this leading up to the point of finally reaching the name of God that we are here to study. You're probably thinking, well, that took you long enough, Seth. Well, you had to understand the full context. You, you had to understand what God was bringing Gideon through as he comes to this name. So, let, let's jump into verse 23 of Judges chapter 6. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. There it is, the name of God, Jehovah Shalom, or even Yahweh Shalom. It took a lot to get there, but now from this worry, this place of fear, this place of chaos, this place of worry, the Lord comes to Gideon and says, peace be to you. He builds an altar there. And as you reflect on all the things that we have seen through the life of Gideon, what great words they must have been to be in the place of fear where he is, now to this place of understanding this God of peace. So, as we get into this and we reflect on what does this mean for us today, we think about the struggles and the fears that we have in life. What are you afraid of? And no, I'm not talking just about bugs. I'm talking about the fears of life, the fears of your circumstances, the, the fear that causes you to wonder, is God even there? Oh, I think as we reflect on these two questions and answers, we're going to get a lot of insight into what God has for us. You know, I've already looked at the, the question in verse 13 of, of God, why? Well, why is this happening? Where are you, God? And then the other question of, of how can I, God, how can I get through this? How can I be used through this? Well, the answer lies in the two phrases that God responds with. The Lord responds with, I am with you. Then he responds with, do I not send you? And I think those phrases are where we find this peace of God, this Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of 
peace. Let's think about it from the New Testament perspective, right? Another angel comes. She brings forth this message, and this is the word that is said to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came into this form now as a human, as a baby, not in the form of the angel of the Lord, to, to live among us, to guide us in the way of peace, to save us from our sins. This is Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is this peace that comes from salvation. But see, there, there are still these fears of the world, Right? Maybe you have some of the same fears as Gideon, these foreign nations, this war. We think about all these things. But peace is found in the same place. And peace is found in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. I was thinking about the story in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus calms the storm. And I was thinking about the questions that Gideon raises. And this one actually adds another one to us for a third question for today. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 38 through 41. It says, But he was in the stern asleep. He was on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, rebuked the wind and the sea, and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Did you catch the question that they threw out to Jesus? Do you not care that we are perishing? I kind of picture you really have to read and understand that question as they are surrounded by a storm. It's not like they're just waking him up, I think, and saying, hey, God, hey, Jesus, hey, do you care? No, I think they are terrified. And they are crying out to him, do you care about it? Do you care that we are perishing? And he says, peace, be still. And the storm calms. And then he even says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Of course, then it also leads us to the great passage from Philippians in chapter 4. And what amazing words we have from Paul where he says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Him. He says, Bring me your worries, bring me your cares. Bring your request to me, and you will find this peace of God which surpasses anything in this world. And we always hear about those verses, but the verses after that are just as important. In verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in there, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Live the way you're called in Scripture and find this peace. It comes full circle back to Gideon. The people had forgotten and not followed the Lord. Paul talks about in these verses about following the life God has for you. Following the life that Paul teaches about. Finding that peace of God through those circumstances. And then finally, remember, the Lord said that he was with Gideon and that he was sending Gideon. Think about some of the last words he had for his disciples, the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, here it is, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Jesus is leaving and sending his disciples, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a great promise that we have from God. As we seek out this peace of God, to understand that the Lord is peace. We reflect on those passages from Philippians, of a peace that surpasses all understanding. And as Gideon was facing the worries and the fears of this world, God tells him, have peace. I am with you. I am sending you. I want to invite the worship team back up front as we get ready to close. And it's been a journey for us through this name of God, of understanding that the Lord is peace. We hear questions like, why and how? We wonder, where is God? Do you care? Are you there in my life? And then we get the answer. The answer that we need to find this Lord of peace. That He is with us. That He is with us always. That He sends us into this world. And all this brings us the peace that we are looking for. It's often not easy to find that peace. But as we search him out, as we come to his word, as we come to him with our prayers and supplications to receive this peace, we realize the life he has for us. To not get lost in the circumstances that surround us. As we close, I I think so many times as we hear these stories of these great judges, these heroes, these these people of the Old Testament, these Gideons, these Davids, and these Daniels, we sometimes hear messages. Maybe you've even heard them about, dare to be a Daniel. Be like David. Be like Gideon. But I think that misses the point of these stories. The point of these isn't to be like Gideon. You can read through the rest of Gideon's story and just see how many times he still struggles even after this point. But I think the point is here is to look to God. Look to God, the one who gives that peace to Gideon. Look to God who gives him that strength. And if we look to God, we find that peace, not 
in our own strength, but in his strength. Because he is the one that is there for us. He is the one that is guiding us. We can do nothing in our own strength. Instead, the entire focus of peace is to find it in God and in God alone. He is with us, the Lord of peace. Now let's stand and sing and close our time as we continue to reflect on the peace that comes in our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand for one last song.